is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to episode three. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. As promised, today I'll be interviewing Nicole so you know her creative background. If this is your first time with us, go back to episode one and check out what we're doing here. And in episode two, she interviews me. So, Nicole, welcome. Welcome to our show. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Happy to be here. Uh, So I guess you can start by telling us what kind of art you do. Sure. I'm a visual artist, uh, so primarily a painter. I make large mixed media collages um, that are really bright and colorful, Um, interested in color and light. Um, But initially, as a kid, I wanted to be an animator. So that was my first uh, experience with art. I'm really interested in the early 2D Disney animation. So I dabble a little bit in animation currently, but uh, I'm more interested in painting and uh, recently installation as well. Uh, So that's just a brief summary of my work. Very cool. Do you know when you first decided that you wanted to be an artist? I think I always kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. I had no idea what that looked like or, uh, you know, how that would become a career path. But I just loved to draw as a kid. And I think I have an illustrated book that I made in first grade where I talk about how much I love cinnamon muffins and my hamster Rusty and that when I grow up I want to be an artist so not too much in my life has changed since then Um, and it's just been a matter of figuring out how to make it work Um, but it was really in high school where I was introduced to the idea of art colleges that you know that was out there and really started to think uh, seriously about how I could pursue that beyond a hobby in high school. Mm -hmm. Do you think that when you first graduated, were you primarily looking to work as a day job in art or did you want to be a like solo entrepreneur kind of what what did you view your career path as after you graduated or if you started thinking about it before then? I think that you know, I studied painting and I I wanted to be a painter for the rest of my life. Um, but unfortunately, I think I'm a little embarrassed to say I still didn't really know what that looked like or how I was really going to make that happen. Um, so I didn't actually have a very clear idea of what I was going to do just practically uh, or, you know, what my my jobs or careers were going to look like, so to speak, after graduating from art school. And I definitely was not thinking of myself as any kind of entrepreneur at that time. But I think I had a little bit of an easier transition out of art school uh, just because I had actually graduated in December. So I finished a semester early because of credits I was able to build up. Um, And then I had my thesis show the following spring. So I had uh, effectively an extra semester to transition into the real world where I was still preparing for my thesis show you know I was still involved with the school um, but I was also starting to work which I think made it really helpful and kind of laid the groundwork for the work that I eventually ended up doing. And what kind of work were you doing um, I guess both creatively and non-creatively just to make some money in your life? 
Yeah. Um, well, starting out in college, I think that, um, and we both, as we've mentioned in past episodes, um, went to MICA in Baltimore, the Maryland Institute College of Art. Um, and I had, you know, a few jobs in high school. Um, and then throughout college, I was also pretty involved on campus, working various jobs as a residential advisor. Um, so like a kind of a counselor to freshmen and then um, as a teaching assistant and resident counselor for the summer programs. And I also worked in the admission office as uh, like a tour guide um, and doing administrative work, which uh, becomes more important later on. But I, uh, I kept working for the admission office as a data assistant part time in that semester right after I finished classes. Um, so I think I was doing that two days a week. And then I also started a job as a mural assistant um, in Baltimore for a commercial mural artist, um, I think for the other three days a week. And then I was also preparing for my thesis show at MICA. And through mural painting, um, that's something I felt like I could really easily jump into. I think I found that job through our, our school's career site. And uh, you know, it seemed an obvious match to my skill set uh, being a painter. Um, I also studied illustration in school. So like you, I, I think I resonated a lot more with the fine art, um, the painting critiques and conversations, but illustration was a way to build a little bit of that business background. And um, there was more emphasis placed on, you know, your work in that context. And so I took some of the professional practices classes that were geared towards illustrators, um, so mural painting was sort of a perfect combination of uh, illustration and painting. I don't know if you just want me to go through a kind of timeline of my career, because I think yeah, everything sort of, you know, led to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so through mural painting, I met um, Lee, who I'll give a shout out to on this podcast, um, who also graduated from like a painting, um, and her and I became fast friends, um, just had a lot of great conversations as we were working together as mural assistants. And so that sort of hatched the idea for the two of us to start um, our own mural painting business. And how that came about is the artist we were working for was moving out of state and uh, essentially discontinuing her business in the area. But we still had projects we were working on, and uh, she had, you know, somewhat of a client base there that she was willing to refer to us. So it just sort of seemed like a natural next step for the both of us to continue working together um, and to, you know, finish the work that we had started. And um, so Lee and I continued working together for, I think, the next four or so years after that, on and off, um, as partners for this mural painting business. And I'll also mention that she told me about uh, the first residency program that I ended up participating in out of Annapolis, Maryland. Some friends of hers um, had an arts nonprofit, and they wanted to start an artist-in-resident program. Um, So this was brand new, and she's the one that kind of set me up with, um, with meeting with them, Um, So I ended up doing that for the next year. So it was a year-long program um, that offered a studio out of Annapolis that Lee and I and another friend of ours who was an illustrator named Jacqueline all shared together. Um, And that also provided a monthly stipend of $300. So that was, you know, enough for supplies and um, commuting back and forth and led to, you know, some great opportunities show-wise. And I think that residency really helped to just establish uh, a routine to be working in the studio after college Um, because that's one of the hardest things too is just figuring out 
how that's going to fit into your new work life. So I was doing the residency, um, worked initially in my admissions for a semester, um, and then really the bulk of, I think, my work and income was from um, mural painting for those first couple years. Very cool. Did you find that through doing the mural painting business that you learned a lot about business practices or was it kind of on the fly, just figure it out as you go? Oh, absolutely. Um, Well, both. I think through just figuring things out as we went along um, with mural painting was the first uh, experience really thinking about you know, our work in terms of a business. And for me, the mural painting in my studio practice was always very separate. We were working with a really eclectic client base, doing a lot of kid-friendly murals in commercial spaces um, like restaurants or, you know, nurseries for individuals. Um, But our biggest client was a chain of kids' dental offices called Adventure Dental. And they were really like our bread and butter throughout those years. Um, They were big projects, so like 15 to 20,000 square foot office spaces where we were painting um, the entire interior, these really immersive, um, cartoony, kid-friendly scenes with Captain Smiles and the Cavity Wizard. So um, those would come up for us about every six months or so, and we'd be working on them full time for, you know, two or three months at a time. So that was sort of what sustained us. And then, you know, we're kind of filling in the gaps with smaller projects. Um, And they were also a bit of a dream client in that uh, our contact there was really great to work with, uh, really supported us as, as artists, gave us a lot of creative freedom, you know, I felt like the pay was fair. So that was really helpful. Um, but we definitely had a lot of, I won't call them horror stories, but learning experiences <laughs> working with other clients. And and Lee and I were really figuring out a lot along the way in terms of, uh, you know, putting our own portfolio together, creating contracts uh, as well, just learning how to navigate that client relationship, um, you know, mm-hmm. how to set ourselves up, even how we were breaking up projects, like how we were pricing the murals and, uh, you know, all of that. So we, we would look to a lot of other artists, um, actually through Creative Paradox, the, the residency we were a part of, who were a little more established or in a lot of cases had their own businesses. Um, and then we also started participating in business workshops as well, offered through MICA or through um, like the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance, um, just local uh, professional practices, uh, workshops that were geared towards artists. Mm-hmm. Have you done any other uh, like residencies? And if so, how do you find them? And what was your experience? Yeah, definitely. So the Creative Paradox I mentioned was the first um, residency that was great because it was really woven into, you know, my daily life. I was still working alongside it, whereas um, some or maybe most artist residencies involve going away. They're like a retreat where you're just focused uh, intensively on your art for maybe two or four weeks at a time. Um, So the Creative Paradox residency was a little different in that, you know, it came about through that personal connection. Um, But I think it helped me just establish that practice of being an artist and, um, I was also researching a lot of other residencies, as, especially as that was getting ready to end, um, to figure out you know how I could continue doing those. And it just involves a lot of online research, to be honest. I'd had some spreadsheets that I think some MICA professors had put together, which were really helpful starting points. 
Um, and there are actually uh, sort of databases online like res artists um, that you can look into for what kinds of residencies might be a good fit uh, or rate my residency, I think is another one where artists sort of write about their experiences. Um, so there are actually quite a few ways that you can seek these out. And I was just applying for, you know, anything and everything that sounded interesting. Uh, I didn't have a lot of experience at that point. So I was looking, you know, for travel opportunities. And so the next residency that I did uh, was called Proyecto Ace, and it's based in Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, for three weeks. Um, and I was really excited to uh, to get that, and so I was able to go for a month uh, to Buenos Aires, and um, it was pretty small and more community-oriented, so they really encouraged us to just spend time in the city, um, get to know the, the area. And I, I fundraised for that uh, through Kickstarter, so that's one of the ways I was able to go there. And that was in, I think, 2013, so that was a couple of months after the residency at Creative Paradox finished. And I, I somewhat consistently apply to residencies. Um, like you had mentioned, I have a spreadsheet of upcoming deadlines or anything I think I should keep an eye out for just to keep track of um, the fees for applying to those. And so then the next residency that I did um, a couple years later was with the Vermont Studio Center, um, which is the, the largest artist colony in the U.S. And they have something around 50 or 60 artists and writers that come through every month. Um, so there's a really, I think, a great way to meet a lot of new artists. Uh, and that was in 2015. Um, and at that point, I'd, I'd applied for the Vermont Studio Center, uh, I think, two or three times before. And um, this instance, I was on the waiting list and a spot opened up um, relatively last minute. So I was kind of jumping on that to make it work. Do you feel like those experiences really change the way that you make art or think about art? Yeah, I, I really do. I think they're important um, because for me, graduating from, uh, from art school at the undergraduate level, I uh, hadn't really considered going on to graduate school. Um, it, maybe it's something that I'll do in the future, but I, I was looking for other learning experiences, I guess, and what it was like to be a practicing artist, you know, ways that I could build up um, my professional skill set and, uh, you know, build up my, my art practice. And so uh, I think that they've each been really important for different reasons. Creative Paradox, uh, again, just establishing the routine of getting in the studio alongside other full-time obligations. Um, and then Proyecto Ace was you know, a chance to, to go away and just experience a, a different city, um, meeting artists from Brazil and Argentina and Venezuela. So um, really getting uh, a great experience through meeting a variety of artists uh, from, from really different backgrounds. And then the Vermont Studio Center, um, just having so many different artists. And uh, I didn't actually produce a lot of work. I didn't feel at the Vermont Studio Center, but it was one of the first instances in a couple of years, I think, where I'd been back in that kind of a, a school-like environment where uh, you're critiquing work, you're hearing from artists, having studio visits. Um, so I'm not sure if I was fully prepared for that, but I think it was important for me to, you know, hear some of that and then to be able to just digest it and, and take it with me um, back to Baltimore uh, where I was working out of my home studio. 
going in a slightly different direction, where where are you spending your time creatively now? Yeah, uh, I just moved out to San Francisco at the end of last year, uh, so December 2016. Um, it's now March, so I've been out here for a couple of months, and I really love it so far. Um, part of the reason for coming out here was just to try something new, having been in Baltimore for a number of years, wanting to be in a new environment and challenge ourselves again. Um, and when I say we, I'm uh, meaning my partner and I, we moved out here together and he's a graphic designer. Um, but another big reason for coming out here has to do with a project that we've been collaborating on for a couple of years now um, called Grain. And this is a startup um, where my brother is the CEO. He was a finance major in college and just noticed a real gap in the number of young people or millennials who were investing. Um, and so we've been working on creating an app that will help address this, uh, make it easier for new investors to start building a more long-term, sustainable financial future. Um, and this is something that, as an artist, is especially important to me, as we've been talking about. Um, so Dave and I have been collaborating on some of the brand development, uh, learning about um, UI, UX design, or user interface and user experience design, um, to create this app that will help make the stock market less intimidating, less costly, uh, more accessible for new investors. Um, and so Joe and then a few teammates have been out here in uh, San Francisco, or San Jose rather, um, for the last couple of years working on grain. And as it's been starting to grow, um, we just launched in the App Store this week, actually. Um, yeah. So we felt that being out here in San Francisco, yeah, I know, big milestone. <laughs> um, so that was part of our thinking, too, is that um, being out here would be important for the future of Grain as well, to be able to work together on this project in person. Um, we've been doing it remotely from Baltimore for a couple of years. Uh, so that along with the art scene here, uh, wanting to experience a change of pace, um, were all factors in deciding to come out towards the end of the year. Yeah, and I mean, San Francisco, that's literally the perfect location for you as a young creative and young techie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call myself a young techie, but it's been uh, really interesting to kind of dip my toes into that world and um, also figure out how, you know, your skills as an artist, um, your visual perspective translates into an entirely different field um, like the world of tech, um, because again, I really consider myself more of a fine artist and a painter. So that's been a really big learning experience for me is um figuring out, you know, how those those skills um, might apply to a project that seems so different on the surface. Um, but it really is all, you know, visual problem solving. And also because we're coming at it from the perspective of um, young people who want to start investing. So I think a good benchmark for us has always been trying to build something that we ourselves would actually use because we're also the, the target audience or demographic that we're trying to reach. Um, so I, I do actually think that those um, that perspective as a fine artist has been really valuable in working on a project like Grain. Um, but I am excited to be out here for the, the fine art scene as well um, because it is a much larger city and, uh, you know, you have museums like SFMOMA that just reopened and um, a much larger gallery scene here. 
And how did you find a, like a studio place to work in a brand new city? Um, that came about pretty serendipitously. I really was just searching on Craigslist. And um, before we moved out here, I came out for one weekend where I did a whole bunch of apartment hunting. And uh, I reached out to one studio that I found on Craigslist just on a whim. Um, This is a few months before I was actually scheduled to move out here and was able to meet up with them. Um, So it's in East Oakland and it's just a beautiful space within a warehouse of, you know, a lot of other artists. And uh, so that just worked out really well. I know when we were roommates, you were working from home sometimes. Have you noticed a big difference in your practice between working in a studio where you have access to other artists versus working on your own in your own private space? Yeah, I think that um, my hope is that there'll be more of a dialogue around the work that we're making or just more opportunity for those casual studio visits to take place. Um, So that's something I'm looking forward to because I think uh, I was really productive working out of um, an in-home studio for the last year where we had sectioned a room off in our Baltimore apartment uh, as a studio space. And then before that, I'd also rented a studio in Baltimore um, in the Station North Arts District in kind of a similar warehouse space uh, where there weren't a lot of other fine artists. So even though that was a studio outside of my home, um, there wasn't actually a lot of critique or conversations with other artists taking place. So it's been pretty solo. And um, when I'm actually working, I think it's important for me to just have that that space to, you know, make, make your work personally. But um, I would like to be more proactive with, I think, bringing other artists in and having studio visits. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to out here in, in California. Nice. And I mean, San Francisco is such a creative hub. There's so many artists out there. So I feel like you will not have any shortage of resources. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I should mention just going back a few steps to, you know, my career leading up to the move, maybe starting with the mural painting that we were doing uh, a couple years ago, uh, Lee and I uh, taking on mostly freelance projects. So I was mostly self-employed for those first few years after college, um, doing other creative gigs, uh, like teaching part-time at the elementary school level, um, doing, you know, some dog sitting, just some other uh, really part-time flexible things that were fun and brought in a little bit of money. And then uh, started working again with uh, MICA, the art college, through the admission office where I'd worked as a student, uh, initially just as a um, contracted recruiter, so doing a little bit of independent work um, during the fall recruitment season. Um, And then in the summer of 2015, I applied for a job as a full-time admission counselor there. So I was working full-time for the last year out in Baltimore, um, and then also trying to balance my studio work and side projects uh, outside of that, which was challenging because the job was very demanding uh, in terms of schedule and very seasonal too, so it really follows the flow of the the school year. Um, And in the summer, things really quiet down. Um, and I was able to shift gears and, you know, take a little bit of time off to work in the studio and, uh, focus a little more on personal projects then. 
Um, but I think that it, it had helped uh, deciding that we were going to come out to California at the end of the summer. So I agreed to continue working throughout the fall and didn't actually move out to California until December. So that did give me a little bit of runway to save up, um, you know, give myself a couple of months buffer in coming out here to figure things out and get set up in the studio. Um, and then I also uh, just by a huge stroke of luck sold a number of paintings right before coming out here that also helped to, uh, you know, pave the way for being able to focus on my studio work um, a little more. So that's my hope for the future is just looking at other creative jobs and uh, ways to spend time in the studio here. Nice. And how are you able to facilitate those sales? Like how are you making an income off of your paintings? Yeah, that's a great question. So I feel like I should also mention briefly uh, another job that I had um, for just a couple of months that I usually don't talk about and don't include on my resume because it seems like uh, such a blip, but I worked as an administrative assistant for a very commercial gallery outside of Baltimore. Um, and this was alongside mural painting. Um, and actually, now that I'm thinking back, I had just come back from the residency with Proyecto Ace um, in Argentina. So again, I had fundraised through Kickstarter to get out there. And when I came back, um, I guess I just hadn't accounted for all of the costs associated with sending gifts back to Kickstarter backers. Um, and also, that's essentially taking a month of time off to go and focus on your work, um, you know, when you're not necessarily making an income. So I came back feeling like I really needed to just get a job and jump into something to bring in some money. So I was applying to a lot of things at the beginning of the year. And I worked briefly for this gallery um, that I eventually got let go of uh, or let go from uh, after a couple months. And so I think that it was, in retrospect, really important um, just to, to show me what the other side uh, of the coin really looked like, um, how they were working with artists, and um, that they would often buy work through um, not even the artists themselves, but other dealers that they were working with or art consultants. Um, and then they would resell the work um, in the gallery. Uh, and so I didn't even really know that there were these people who were just in the business of selling work besides gallerists. Um, and I think this was a little bit unique in that they had, um, you know, a pretty commercial setup where they had consultants who were working with artists and um, a really production-like setting, and then, um, you know, maybe not with the, the artist's best interest in mind, but then they're reselling these paintings for a much higher sum. Um, but what it did just bring to light was that, um, you know, there, there are people that are out there working with artists um, who can, can help sell your work. And so I just started researching other art consultants um, in the area uh, around Baltimore, Washington, D.C., um, and then also started reaching out to them to, to share my work with them and um, just inquire. That involved putting together a, a packet of work. So I have a PDF portfolio, um, you know, making sure to, to document all of your work really well, and then including uh, your artist statements, uh, resume. So I have this really professional PDF that I put together. And that's what I would send out to art consultants. Um, and then similar to, to job applications or as you were describing, 
um, with your own experience, uh, Amanda, in applying to uh, to different venues or stores, um, you know, there are mixed results. Sometimes you might not hear anything back or you might get some really positive feedback, um, but nothing really, really comes of it. Um, and then in some cases you'll, uh, you know, get a really positive response and, um, and that's just the start of a relationship. So I think that can take some time to manifest. Um, this was maybe early 2014 that I just started reaching out to art consultants, getting on their radar, um, and then keeping them updated as I was making new work. Uh, and then it took about a year or so until the first time that I sold, um, I think there were three paintings um, altogether through a, a local art consultant in Maryland. Um, and so that's been a lot of it. And that's been another strategy that I've um, tried in coming out here is to um, get a little more organized with, you know, my spreadsheet of, of lists of art consultants or people that I might want to work with potentially, um, in addition to, to galleries and, you know, venues that I might want to show my work at, but for the purpose of trying to sell work um, to, you know, larger organizations or, or corporate spaces that have bigger budgets. I think it just involves reaching out to them, uh, so, so kind of cold calling and uh, starting a relationship from there. So that's how it's come about. And in a few cases, I think just having your work out there, having it online. I've got some work on um, like Saatchi Online's portfolio. So just different platforms that, you know, might be ways of selling work, but more so just having a presence beyond your personal website. Um, so in the case of this sale that happened right before coming out here, um, there was an art consultant in Philadelphia that reached out to me, uh, having seen my work and was doing some local projects, um, and then ended up coming down for a studio visit a few months later, uh, and then chose um, four paintings that uh, she wanted to include in the project. Segwaying into a slightly different vein, what would you say is like a typical or maybe even ideal day in the studio, or I guess a combination of what a day of working in the studio looks like versus what you would like it to look like? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's ideal. Yeah, I think um, it's sort of hard for me to answer that right now because I feel like my life is so in flux. Um, and one of the things that has been uh, really, that I'm really grateful for, but it's it's also been kind of a challenge for me is, is having this time and coming out here um, so I've been getting set up in the studio, uh, and I live in San Francisco, and my studio is in East Oakland, so I take the BART or, you know, like a metro, and it takes about an hour to get from door to door. So still figuring out that that commute um, and what the schedule looks like. So I would say right now I, I really don't have any kind of a set routine um, because I'm, I'm trying to juggle so many things, you know, also looking at and interviewing for some other positions. Um, I just started driving a little bit with Uber on the side and, uh, you know, just doing some little uh, things here and there, a bit of, um, contract work with, uh, you know, with Mike admissions, um, but wanting to spend most of my time in the studio. So that's where I've been trying to get to on, uh, you know, several times a week, um, and spend a good chunk of time there. And, uh, a lot of it too has been administrative. I, I think I was expecting to come out here and be spending a lot of my physical time in the studio actually making work, but, um, just getting the space set up 
And then uh, doing all the research of, you know, finding art consultants in the area. I've also been applying to a lot of uh, shows and, you know, other art-related opportunities. So um, that all takes a lot of time just to update your portfolio, update your artist statements, um, and then, you know, tailoring each application a little bit to every new thing that comes up. So I would say that a lot of time has actually been spent uh, doing that kind of work either working from home or, you know, more locally in coffee shops. So I feel like it's changed a lot day to day. And that's something I've had to just, I think every artist has to navigate that as, you know, how they are fitting in their their work or how they, maybe they're working toward that ideal scenario. Uh, like I have this fantasy in my head of just waking up in the morning and um, taking my dog Remy with me to the studio, getting there early, like having coffee, staring at my paintings and then working on them all day and then that's it I can just go home and repeat the next day but <laughs> I think there's so much you know outside of that that goes into it um, again just applying for things uh, or even trying to you know set up having coffee with other artists building a new network here in a new city um, and then this is all just again with that dream in mind of of being a full-time artist but I think um, more often the reality is that there are other jobs and things that you're working around it. So when I was working full-time at MICA, it was again very seasonal. So there were stretches of months at a time where I really wasn't getting into the studio at all um, and it was all work-focused. And then there were other times of the year, like in the summer, where things slowed down and um, we had you know, a month worth of vacation time. So I used part of that to work in the studio um, I was also preparing for a show last summer, which I think really helped because I've realized having that structure um, and having deadlines um, for, for me, um, being really goal-oriented, I think is really important because um, I don't actually do well when I have just open-ended time. So I've been trying to build in that structure and, and create those routines for myself in this transitional period. So I'm using my time uh, wisely. But in the past, um, in a lot of cases, my studio work has kind of melded around whatever other jobs or obligations um, I have. But I've really tried to make a point to get in as often as I can. Um, it's not every day, typically, but maybe it's three days in a row, you know, every few weeks or um, just working on the weekends or, you know, in some cases taking some time off. So I have a whole week stretch of time just to focus on that. So I think it really varies depending on what else is going on. Do you have any advice that you would want to give to a young artist that maybe is on something that you had to learn the hard way or wish that you had been given this advice before kind of going for it? I think just finding a way to continue making your work um, in some way or another is so important um, and not getting too down on yourself because it is such a challenge and again, you know, things are going to change whether it's um, your work or personal life and things come up. So at least for me, it hasn't been realistic to have a studio practice in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm getting in there every single day and working for an hour or two. Um, it just hasn't worked that way. But I think, um, you know, setting those goals out for yourself in advance, whether it's things that you're applying to, 
um, or just things that you want to achieve. I think something that I've started to do probably based on, you know, professional development workshops that I've taken. Um, one of them actually that was really pivotal was a thing called Artists U or Artists University. Um, it's uh, started by a choreographer in Philadelphia and he's actually brought the program to Baltimore and it's a free uh, full day workshop for artists that's all about you know the business side of your work, uh, for good financial practices for artists. Um, and I think that one of the strategies from that was to make a list of everything um, professionally, personally, and artistically that you would want to accomplish in the next uh, two years or next five years or, you know, whatever timeline you want to set. Um, and then just write everything down without any kind of a filter. Um, and then after a week or so, go back into that and take another look at it and see what things still resonate with you. Um, and then, you know, from there you choose maybe your top three things um, from every category and you start to break down the steps of what it might take to get there. Um, and there are things that you can proactively be doing and then things that are also outside of your control. Um, like I can put together my materials, I can, you know, document all my work and reach out to art consultants or try and set up studio visits with galleries um, but then ultimately, you know, some of that's out of your hands. So I think recognizing that and um, there's, there's inevitably a period of time and who knows how long it's going to be where, you know, you're, you're just juggling a lot of different things. Um, so figuring out how to manage that is really tough but important. Um, so I think just starting and working through finding a way to stay motivated through those periods and, and being kind to yourself when it comes to scheduling in your studio time, um, as long as it remains a priority for you. I think, you know, if it has to fit around other things that are going on in your life, uh, that's okay. Um, and the other end of it, um, besides just applying for things and sort of giving yourself um, far off goals or, or dreams that you're working towards, which is how, I, you know, all of the residencies and all of the shows um, that I've that I've um, been able to, to participate in have come about through that. And, you know, of course, the things that work out are only a really small fraction of the things that you're applying to, um, which I, hopefully everybody expects, but, you know, you just have to work through that, um, that rejection or, or the uh, discouragement of, of, you know, getting those responses back. But I think that the more things you apply to, the more likely you are to get, you know, one or two things out of that. So that's a part of just the, the time management and staying motivated. Um, and then also something that has been really useful just on the financial end of it is making um, what I'm also stealing from this Artist's You workshop uh, and creating is an income pie chart. And that's to just get a sense of the breakdown of where your money is coming from, which as somebody who's worked a lot of different creative jobs, um, and usually has, you know, multiple jobs going on or working full time and then having side projects uh, is, you know, hard to keep track of. But I think is a really good visual way of seeing where your money is coming from. And then rather than pivoting altogether, um, just thinking of it in terms of how can I make this slice of the pie a little bit bigger. Um, so, for example, when I first graduated about... Um, I, I should actually show you a picture of this timeline that I wrote for myself to try and 
um, think back through everything that I'd done in preparation for this podcast, which is a really great exercise I would recommend to anyone, um, is just visually going back through all of the things um, that have happened in in your life. It's um, really, really useful. Um, But I also made these little pie charts along the way to recall, uh, you know, what kinds of jobs I was working. Um, So right after graduating, there was about 70% that was coming through working as a mural assistant, um, and then maybe 20% coming from MICA, and then another like 15% coming from that monthly stipend at Creative Paradox. And then over the next year, that shifted to about uh, 50% coming from mural painting, um, actually just Adventure Dental, so that one big client. And then um, another 10% coming from um, Creative Paradox, the residency again. Uh, Maybe 20% was coming from teaching. uh, And then another 20 or so percent was coming from other mural projects. Um, And then very briefly, I was working full-time at that gallery. So that was 100% of the pie. Um, And then it shifted back to maybe 60 or so percent of mural painting, um, which I jumped back into after that job. Um, another small slice of the pie, maybe 10% was coming through pet sitting. And then I started doing some contract work with MICA for another 20% or so. And then um, maybe I, I was starting to sell some paintings at that time. So it was another maybe 10 or 20%. Um, and then over the last year, uh, I was able to you know, increase the slice of the pie that was coming from painting sales to about 25% or so. And then the other, um, you know, 75% was coming from my full-time job at MICA. So that's been a really good way to look at it and see, um, you know, I'm no longer working at MICA now. So what is going to fill that uh, 75% of the pie? Or how can I increase that 25% coming from painting sales to um, 50% or, you know, eventually 100%? Um, So just coming up with some visual strategies for staying on track um, and also giving yourself some goals to work towards uh, has been really useful for me. Man, I had no idea that you were doing that, but that's such a smart way to plan out where your money is coming from because you definitely need to keep track of it both for tax reasons, but also just personally realizing where your money is coming from. But that's a great that's a great resource. And we can definitely um, share some of that in the show notes um, on the website. And you can see where what we're talking about and kind of where that flows throughout uh, your your time developing as an artist. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say too, that I'm really only just discovering is that power of cold calling people and not necessarily picking up the phone and calling them but just reaching out to people that you don't know or have any contact with but you want to start building a relationship Um, because that's a really scary thing and you know I'm not represented by any gallery right now I haven't had an extensive um, you know list of shows that I've been a part of um, but that's something I'm looking to increase Uh, and so just figuring out how to even go about doing that um, or the same thing when it came to art consultants and so I, I had done a, a webinar um, online through Creative Capital, which has also a lot of great professional development workshops. Um, and this was hosted by Sharon Loudon, who's a really um, generous writer and artist as well. And um, this was all about how to approach and engage with gallerists and um, 
quote-unquote gatekeepers of the art world. Um, and that was immensely helpful uh, for me to, to hear about. Um, but something that really surprised me because, you know, I looked to her as someone who's very established. She's had a lot of great opportunities in her career. Um, and she, she really went through the nuances of how to write these emails, how to, you know, get the conversation going. Um, and she shared that I think around 80% of the opportunities that had come up for her had been a result of, you know, that kind of outreach. Um, so her taking the first step, which was so amazing to me, because I think that maybe there's a perception that at a certain point in your career, stuff just starts happening to you or, you know, galleries are coming to you and people are just asking to show your work. Um, and maybe that's true and I just haven't gotten there yet, but um, it was encouraging to me to hear that so much of it is really in your hands. Um, and that, you know, at the end of the day, they're just people. So I think if you're always keeping in mind, um, the other person, what you can offer them and not what you want to get from them. Um, but to really think of those things as, as just a relationship. Um, so I've been trying to implement that more in, um, again, reaching out to more and more, um, art consultants and, and, you know, people that I might potentially partner with to, to sell work, but also to other artists in the area, um, you know, asking if they want to meet for, for coffee or if they'd be open to having me over for a studio visit. Um, so just trying to, you know, increase the, the network of artists that you know. So I, I guess I just would emphasize the power and importance of um, reaching out to people because in my experience, um, people have, have been really open and receptive um, and then you never know where those connections might lead. You know, maybe it doesn't lead to a sale right away or it doesn't result in anything, but it might manifest in unexpected ways, uh, maybe a year, or even several years down the road. But just reach out to people. Say hello. <laughs> yeah, and it's so important to maintain those relationships and those connections. One, because it's just good to be a good person and keep in touch with the people that have been a you know positive impact in your life but it's also good professionally to just maintain those networks and to remind people that you still exist because there's so much information and people and artists out there that mm -hmm. you know sometimes you have to be the one to reach out and say hey remember me I'm still doing that thing what you think yeah have a mailing list just let people know what you're up to and also send personal emails. You know, everyone gets lots of promotions and uh, lots of emails every day. So I think having some kind of newsletter is good, but also sending out personal communications on a regular basis. Uh, do you have any experiences from being an artist and, or, or even just being an adult in life that really were kind of like horror moments? Um, I know in my work I've definitely had a couple experiences where I'm like how the hell did this happen why <laughs> why is this happening so oh, I no. always I always want to know when uh or if other artists are kind of experiencing similar things yeah yeah um well I'll first just make a distinction between I think some of the natural disappointments that come with not getting into a show that you wanted or you know not getting that grant or not getting a residency because that just happens and I wouldn't call it a horror story but more so just that's just life <laughs> you know part of the process yeah but I think um, through through mural painting you know we were 
seeking out projects through all kinds of things, whether it was posts on you know our, our school's career network page or um, sometimes through word of mouth. Uh, we really had projects just come about in, I think, the most random ways. And looking back, we could have been a lot more strategic about our marketing, but uh, you know it was it was just a whole learning process for us. And we had this one instance where a friend of us referred um, this business. Uh, this was in Baltimore. Um, to us because they were looking for a big outdoor mural and they wanted to do a lot of things on the inside. And so we met with them and, you know, talked about the project and uh, the meeting seemed to go really well. They were really excited about what we were doing and they um, put down a thousand dollar deposit and then, you know, let us go and, and create designs and then come back to them. Um, so we were just excited. This was really early on. We hadn't had many projects at this point. Um, so we, you know, we took and cashed the check and then we got to work on, uh, creating our designs. And when we came back to them, they just decided that, you know, this wasn't what they, um, this wasn't the direction that they wanted to go in. Um, and we were sending them, I think some kind of contract, maybe along with the designs, uh, and they just decided to, to go in a different direction um, with the, the murals. I think they were going to do, like, final decals or something. Oh. Um, but then they were asking us, you know, for, for the refund to, to give back the deposit they had put down. And we just, we hadn't had a clear conversation about that. Um, and so uh, that was really difficult. We felt like we put in a lot of work, um, you know, that, that merited that, that deposit that should have been non-refundable. Um, I think that we'd even agreed to meet with them or, you know, we just wanted to talk and have a conversation in person um, and showed up there and they kind of blew us off. Like we couldn't even reach out to them. And it was it was so confusing. We'd even had a, a, a meeting with um, one of those volunteer lawyers, actually, just trying to figure out like who was in the right and what was the best course of action. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was kind of an embarrassing um moment and you know we weren't making a lot of money at that time so having a thousand dollar deposit on uh, this mural that we thought was a sure thing was kind of a big deal and you know really hard to forfeit after we put in a lot of work and so after that I think we really reformed our our contracts and from there on out we we would break up the design and the painting into two separate phases so we'd have a fee for the design um, you know, we'd present them with a couple of options, usually at a few different price points. And then from there, they could decide if they wanted to move forward and which direction. Um, and then, you know, we'd include quotes for the actual mural. And then that was sort of a separate part of the process. But at least that way, we um, ensured that the design fee was non-refundable. We were getting paid for that initial work we were doing. And then, um, you know, we would kind of go from there with the next part of the process. But I think that was maybe the worst experience. Yeah. I'm sure there are others, but I've probably just suppressed them in my memory. <laughs> yeah, just block out those hard times. And I think that it's good to be open about those experiences because I think we all have our own things that we've gone through where we're like, I don't know if I just got screwed over or I was just so naive that I put myself in this position. But it's okay. Those those times are frustrating, but they happen to everybody. And as long as nobody dies, I think you can come back from it uh, a stronger and more experienced and and uh, educated person from those hard times. 
Tell us something unexpected. I guess I tend to think of myself as being a little more on the introverted side, even though I can kind of turn on this persona that's a little more outgoing or in instances where, you know, we're doing something like this podcast um, and much more open and conversational. But I think in general, maybe people see me as being a little more um, reserved or on the quiet end, but um, my work is really loud and bright and colorful, I think. And I've always sort of liked that paradox where people look at my work and they maybe expect a certain person to be on the other end of it, but they might meet someone who's a little contrary to, you know, what what they are expecting from looking at the work. And I think my, my paintings have a lot to do with this celebration of paradox and difference and navigating relationships between contrasting elements um, in, in really formal ways. So I kind of enjoy the aspect that my personality on the surface maybe doesn't align with the kind of work that I'm producing, but I feel like they're both equally me and, um, you know, they're these different parts to my personality that are both equally authentic, even though they might seem really contrasting. Yeah. And I mean, based off of your work, no one would expect that these gigantic, mind-blowingly colorful and bright pieces of work would come from like the world's tiniest little blonde girl (laughs) that's very quiet but also fun you know how to turn up (laughs) yeah also I love dogs but I feel like if you've known me for any length of time that's not very unexpected (laughs) I wanted to ask um so you recently found a solution to getting your dog with you to your studio which is pretty far away from your home you want to talk about that? <laughs> Do I? That's the only thing that I want to talk about. My dog Remy is a little, um, well, he's not so little. So the the dilemma is that he's a little too large to put in a carry-on or to carry around in a purse or something like that. So he's like a 40-pound dog. And um, I've been trying to come up with solutions to take him back and forth to my studio, uh, which is in East Oakland, uh, in my apartment, which is in San Francisco, and um, I don't have a car here in the Bay Area, so the only way to to really get over there is by taking first the Muni, which is like a um, transit system of buses, and then the BART, um, which is also like a metro or subway that goes between San Francisco and Oakland. And I haven't really been able to figure out what is the deal with the BART. Um, Maybe someone who's listening and lives in San Francisco can enlighten me on this, but technically it seems that dogs are only allowed if they're in some kind of a carrying case. And I haven't seen anyone riding the BART with a dog, so I just don't know what the deal is. And Remy is very excitable, and I just didn't really know if I was going to be able to bring him on the BART uh, without causing a scene. And so I tried uh, getting a backpack, but he did not like that, and he was also a little <laughs> too large for it. And so the solution that I've recently come up with is... also a is, lot of weight to carry on your back. I guess it's like a stroller. I call it his buggy, but it's uh, made for dogs, and it's... <laughs> So it actually connects to the back of a bike, um, but you can also push it as a stroller, and um, he loves it. He's actually sleeping in it right now, so he just 
hangs out in his buggy and um, I push him on the Muni and then on the BART uh, as if he's a child and that's how I get him to the studio. Well, he's your child. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's got that, like, kind of rambunctious energy oh, he is like so a rambunctious. child. Which so. is why I think it's also good for him just to be contained in a safe space where he's not meeting yeah, every person he encounters on the subway. But he's very kind. He's a really oh, good, yes. friendly dog. Like, he just loves people and loves to he, love yeah, on so them. Much. But not all people love dogs. Yeah. Which is tragic. I know. Yeah, it's also affected the times that I maybe go to the studio. So I've been trying to offset my schedule um, to be not during rush hour uh, because it gets so crowded. So usually I'll go later in the morning and then I'll come back later in the evening with him when it's less less crowded on the BART. So for those of our listeners that are not familiar with your work, where can they find it? I have a website, which is just my full name. Uh, that's Nicole Marie Muller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R.com. And uh, I also share some of my studio process on Instagram at Nicole Marie Muller as well. And we can include links to that uh, in our show notes and on our blog post. Yeah, we can. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list, where we have all kinds of exclusive content that we only have available to our subscribers. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Boom! It's over! (laughs) Out. (laughs) Cut. Cool. Just kidding, I'm still recording. (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's still recording on my end too.